today, I invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12 today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let's pray again, and then we will um, get right into it. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity again to be here. We pray, Father, that you would have your way with us. Show forth those truths that would be helpful to us, help us to glean off the Word of God. We pray for the Holy Spirit's presence and power. And Lord, we pray that you would do what we can't do in our own strength or even attempt to do. And so, Father, we pray that we put ourselves aside, that we might be filled by you, that your presence would be known, and that, Father, we would again hear these truths from the Word of God that would be a help to us. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think as we um, think of society in our lives and we think of the world, um, I think we can conclude to this truth that most of us try to avoid pain or difficult circumstances as often as we can. I don't think many of us want bad things to happen. I don't think many of us want afflictions. I don't think many of us want pain. I think we, especially in America, try to avoid those certain things. And when, when pain or difficult circumstances catch up with us, many times there's either one or two different things that happen. And this is in a secular world, in a, a secular mindset often. But one aspect of it is someone just gives up. Life gets tough and you kind of just lay on the sideline and give up. The second thing that I think is somewhat problematic as well is that when things happen and pain comes or circumstances come our way that we really try to, to avoid the second thing we do is try to get really tough we try to be like real tough and you'll hear a lot of these mannerisms in sports and i'm not saying that there's no truth to some of these aspects but we hear things like you know just push through when the going gets tough the tough gets going and those are good pep talks and those are interesting things to state but I want, the re I want you to realize the reality of things is that a lot of times in life, things get too tough where I don't care how tough you think you are, you're not getting through it. You remember nothing else today. I want you to remember this statement I'm about to make. Some people say God never gives us too much for us to handle. And I want to tell you that that's not true. God often gives us too much for us to handle but he'll never give us too much that he can't handle. And there's a big difference there. Because a lot of times people will go through life saying to themselves, they have somewhat of a generic relationship with God, and they say, um, well, God's never going to give me too much for me to handle. And then something happens, and they're like beside themselves saying, what do I do? I can't handle this. I want to tell you, you're in a good place. It's a horrible place, but it's a good place. And it's not because you can handle it, you can't. But often God puts us in situations where we can't handle, but He can. And it'll lead us to have to trust Him. Now that's a big learning spot. It's a huge valley for us to be in, but it's a necessary, necessary place to be. We come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read there in just a minute, but I want to remind you of some things as well before we get here. A lot of times we can read the Bible and we can come to the conclusion that the people in the Bible are just absolutely 
um, superhumans and superheroes, uh, demigods, if you will, Hercules and Achilles and people like that that are just amazing. I can never be like Moses or I can never be like Paul or I can never be like David. I can never be like these giants of the faith and warriors. And I want to remind you, if you look at any of their lives, any of their lives, they all had huge issues that broke them where they had to rely on God. I think Samson is one of the best examples because even in all of Samson's impossible strength through the power of God, his greatest feat came after his strength was about all gone and his eyes were gouged out. We come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read this passage to you. We'll go back and kind of break through it a little bit. But again, I want to remind you, if you take nothing else this morning, it's that God does give us more than we can handle, but never more than He can handle through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Bible says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about four, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory, rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I uh, am I strong? Now you'll notice a couple things, and we're going to get back to this in a minute, but just to give you a preview and set the foundation of what we're looking at. Paul says that there were opportunities for him to glory in himself because of the things he got to see from God, the things he got to do, and God then gave him or allowed there to be a thorn in the flesh that he would have no glory in himself, but rather would only glory in his infirmities because in his infirmities he stayed humble and in his infirmities he had to trust the Lord. And then he said a couple things that if you're circling things in your Bible ought to be circled. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made weakness in, I mean my strength is made perfect in weakness. And for when I am weak, then am I strong. Now here in chapter 12, Paul tells a story of a man who 14 years earlier had been taken up to the third heaven. The third heaven is basically the dwelling place of God. As opposed to the atmospheric heaven or, or the space heaven. And this man who went to heaven was, was Paul. And we can get, gain that evidence from 7. Though we, Verse 7. He doesn't say explicitly that this was me. He talks in the third person. 
But then in verse 7, he says, lest I become prideful in what I was able to see up there, God gave me this thorn in the flesh. And it seems that up while he was up there, he saw things that he could not even put into words. He was able to experience things that could not be put into human comprehension, and it would be easy for him to walk around and be like, nobody else saw what I saw. He would be able to say, what, you see how God's using me? It'd be easy to say, did you see how many books of the Bible God used me to write? It would be easy for him to say, I am such a servant of God. Look how much I've given up for Christ. And yet, he could not because of this thorn in the flesh. Now, many theories have surrounded of what this thorn in the flesh exactly was for Paul. Some have suggested that it was a sickness such as malaria or migraine headaches. Others suggested that it was some sort of problem with his speech. One of the more popular ones would be that it was some kind of problem with his eyesight. And I don't care to discover what exactly the thorn in the flesh was, nor do I care to necessarily discover what your thorn in the flesh is, but rather to understand that in the thorns of the flesh, it's a weakness. And it was a hindrance to him. There's a lot of oxymoronic things in the kingdom of God. For example, God says, if you want to go up, you've got to go down. If you want to get, you've got to give. And here's another one. If you want to have the power, if you want to be strong, you must be weak. And by the way, this is not like a self-weakness where the Pharisees would walk around and they would be disheveled and they would pretend they were weak and because they had been fasting all week because that's how spiritual they were. Paul said, I mean, uh, Jesus told them, and we've been looking at this on Thursday night, there's no reward in that. There's no reward in walking around weak and disheveled, uh, making people think that. So it's not a self-imposed weakness per se, but it is something. It is something that would hinder you. It's something that makes you less able in this life than you normally would be without it it's a handicap it's a hindrance and a lot of times those are the things we want to not have any part of in our life we want to avoid those we don't want anything to do with them because they hinder us and we want to be champions we want to be winners we want to be we want to put on this show of perfection we want to put on this show of look what I can do, look what I have done. That is part of the human condition for most people. And Paul may have been the same way, except he couldn't. Why couldn't he? Because of the thorn in the flesh. And the same may be true in your life, and it ought to be true in your life, that there is probably some sort of, as the closer you get to God, the more hindered you might be in some ways in your physical life or in your life in general, your emotional life, whatever it may be. And it doesn't mean that necessarily the thorn in the flesh increases, but I'm saying you may not know what your thorn in the flesh is as you walk your life in your own will. But as you get to God, he, he didn't have this thorn in the flesh, and then he went up to heaven and then had the thorn in the flesh and, and was back on earth, if you will. And, and I don't know exactly how, all how that transpired, whether it was totally physical or whether it was just... Um, you know, in his spirit, but regardless of that, there was a thorn in his flesh, a weakness that God had given him. And in this weakness, notice that Paul said that it was a, a, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, a messenger of Satan to mess with him. 
That doesn't always seem like a good thing, does it? It's a messenger of Satan to come and afflict him in something. Now we can see some of the ways by which Satan can afflict the human being in the book of Job. How he was afflicted by his family dying. And he was afflicted by losing his possessions and his money and his job and his, you know, his wealth. And we can see his affliction in, in his own health being taken away. And we can see the afflictions of Satan even in his own wife kind of turning her back on the mindset of God and all of it, his friends coming and trying to be good friends and being pretty horrible friends in some ways. We can see all those things, how Satan can buffet, and I'm sure there are other varieties of ways by which Satan can come and afflict us. And Paul asked three times for it to be taken away. Three times he said, God, please take this away. And I'm sure that in those three times, and we talked about this a few, about a month and a half ago, what, when, what happens when Jesus doesn't answer? What happens when Jesus says no? Three times Paul asked for this to be gone, and, and I could imagine in time one and maybe in time two, he may have had this mindset. God is a good God. I am serving God. There's something hindering me from serving God. He says if I pray, He will hear my prayers. And so I will pray for Him to take it away, and a good God will take this away. And then God said something unimaginable. No. And then Paul asked again. And God said, nope. And I don't know if Paul was totally confused by it or not, but he asked the third time. He said, God, please take away this thorn in the flesh. Please take away this affliction. Please take away this thing which hinders me from serving you. I could serve you so much more effectively if I didn't have this. And then God says, no. And you can't serve me better without this. This weakness is necessary for you to serve me effectively. Isn't that baffling? How is our hindrances more necessary for God to use us than if we were fully bodied Herculeses? And you might have the same question in your mind. Why has God given me this weakness? I want you to understand, if you're saying, well, what, what's my weakness? Well, the weakness may be physical. There may be a physical handicap. There may be some health issue. There may be something, um, even like Jacob, when he wrestled against God, and God like took his hip out of place, and it would seemingly be that Jacob, for the rest of his life, limped. It may be something physical like that, but it may not be physical at all. It could be physical like a poor eyesight or speech problem, a physical deformity. It may be something that hindered you, uh, something physical in your life. But weaknesses don't have to be physical. Maybe your weakness is the family you grew up in. Maybe you were treated in some way that has hindered you. Maybe your weakness is something you went through like some kind of trauma and it's produced emotional hindrance or, or, or kind of like a, a, a lack of tr ability to trust or depression or anxiety. It could be one of those physical uh, problems as well where it's poured into emotions because maybe there's a chemical imbalance. Maybe your weakness is you just struggle with your emotions. Maybe your weakness is intellectual. You struggle with learning. You struggle with reading. You struggle with something else. Maybe even your weakness might be some sort of temptation that you struggle with, that men you really just can't get a hold on, or it, it keeps coming and showing its ugly face. Maybe your um, 
your weakness is your past and trying to escape the memories of what, where you were, what you've done, things like that. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't quite matter what your weakness is. But I want to be able to biblically give you the reasons and the glories of your weaknesses. Now there's a lot of times when someone will come to me with something bad that's happened. And a lot of times, they want me to be able to share some words that will take away the pain. And it's really difficult because there's no words that I have that take away pain. Sometimes I can give perspective changes. Sometimes I can give encouraging words. Sometimes I can give biblical truths, and that helps set the context of things. But I don't have magic words. I don't think anyone has magic words that takes it away. That is between you and the Lord. The Lord only has the power there. And yet, does His Word can comfort and truths can comfort and reminders can comfort and changing perspective can change our mindset on different things. But the truth of the matter is that God may have allowed this weakness in your life to hinder you that you might be strengthened. And a lot of times when people get this and they can't escape it, their first notion is to blame God or get bitter at God. And you know, the world, well, the world will tell you, the world tries to make sense of it, right? What doesn't kill you makes you better. Only if it's God doing it. Because if, if it doesn't kill you, it often will make you bitter, not necessarily better. But if God, if you can see God in this, You'll see these truths. You can see Paul asking why. You might ask why. And it's not even wrong to ask God to take it away. But he may not, as we're going to see in a minute. And the truth of the matter is, whatever the weakness is, whether you brought it upon yourself, whether someone else brought it upon you, whether it was natural, whether it was accidental, whatever it is, God will never give you too much that he can't handle in your life. So think about it. Paul's thorn in the flesh, his weakness, it certainly hindered him. He most likely could have thought, I can serve God more, do for God more. You may feel the same way, God. If you took this out of the way, I can serve you so much better. And so I want to look at some of the things concerning why. Why does God give us the thorn in the flesh? Why does God give us these things? Number one, God may want you to have this weakness, and he may take it away, but he may not. Look at verse 7 again. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, the revelations that he had with God, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I be lifted up beyond the ability for people to even measure it. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Again, like I previewed before, Paul asked why and asked God to take it away. You may say, why has God allowed this? And you may ask God to take it away, and he might. There are some things that uh, you're going through that God may take away, that God might heal, that God might redirect, that God may change. But he might not. As Paul asked three times. And the weakness is a hindrance. And it's uncomfortable, and it bothers me, and I don't like it. 
And you might even rationalize with God, God, if you love me, you would take it away. If you want me to serve you, you'll take it away. And you might even think, God, you don't even care. You don't know. But here's the Bible truth. God's ways are not our ways. And we don't always see His hand or sense what He's doing sometimes. And God doesn't have to come to us to ask our permission or give us the entire map of what He's doing. Our job is to trust Him along the way. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct our path. That's not an easy thing. And why wouldn't God take away Paul's affliction? And better yet, why would God give him one in the first place? We can say the same thing. Why did God allow Job to suffer? Why did God allow Moses to be hindered uh, by the people who followed him for those 40 years? Why did God make Abraham and Sarah wait so long for the, to have their child? Why did God allow the children of Israel to be afflicted so many times by the different enemies throughout their history? Why has God allowed, God allowed my weakness to be here? Why hasn't he taken it away? Again, we can pray to take it away, and sometimes He will, but sometimes He won't. And sometimes God will take away a weakness to exhibit His power in your life and exhibit the power of His love and His blessing, but other times God will not. And the truth of the matter remains, God may just want you to have this weakness for the same reason that He wanted Paul to have this weakness. So I want to look at some reasons God may want you to have a weakness or allow you to have a weakness. So number two, without weakness, we may glory in ourselves rather than God. Now I can ask this question. How much do you struggle with pride? And you don't have to answer me. And you might not even know. Nobody here wants to say, I struggle with pride. If you got up here and said that, some people would be like, huh. I can't believe they struggle with pride. I'm glad I don't. Which is an act of pride, of course, in case you weren't aware of it. If you never messed up, if you never had that issue, if you never had that hindrance, if you were a little bit taller, a little bit faster, if you were a little bit smarter, if you were a little bit, um, if that health problem didn't come, if that financial strain didn't come, you could do so much more, couldn't you? Well, God may just want you to have that weakness that you would not glory in yourself. Doing God's work a lot of times be used for self-glory. You want to hear an unfortunate truth? Do you know the church is a haven for narcissists? Because they can be all about themselves and get glory and call it God. It could be a lot of abuse of power, a lot of people self-promoting. And look at verse 6. For though I would desire to glory, he said, in my flesh, I desire to glory. I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that he uh, seeth me to be, or that he heareth me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation that was given me a thorn in the flesh. Don't you think for a second that as Paul went into the city, maybe the secular city, 
the secular people in the city would have booed him, tried to kill him, tried to kick him out. Maybe the Jewish people in some regards may have tried to kick him out. But when he came to those Christian places, they would have given standing ovations. They would have been like, Paul's here, Paul's here, Paul's here. It is real easy to worship man. And it's real easy for man to take worship. And Paul said, I would love to have gloried in all that. Man, that would have been a heyday for my flesh. That would have been amazing for how I felt and what have I accomplished. But then he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. You may all think it's all good here, but I got some things that God allows me to have that makes me so weak that I can't take your glory. There's some things and weaknesses in my life and interests in my life that stop me from taking, from being prideful. Now, I don't know if you know what they are in your life. I know what they are in my life. I know any time I, I might even remotely think, God says this to the thorn in the flesh. And then I'm like, and then I, feel, I literally feel like this. And I don't want to be up here. And I don't want to come out. And I don't want to do anything for God. Because there's a real fine, razor-thin balance between what our flesh wants and the Spirit of God saying, uh-uh, His glory, not ours. His exaltation, not mine. His name, never ours. That's why I tell you sometimes some of my favorite people in the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, are the unnamed brethren. Just the brethren. Who are they? It doesn't matter. Who cares? And Paul says, I would have loved to glory, but I can't. I can't. You have no idea what's stopping me. I have these thorns in the flesh. You might be able to say, wow. And I'm saying, no, 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 not me. Trust me, not me. Not me. And so without these weaknesses, we may very well glory in ourselves. Paul could have gloried in what he saw from God, what his gifts were, his callings were, what he was able to do. Even It's amazing. He was known by so many people, he was even known by the demons. Remember there's that passage in Acts where the sons of Sceva are illegitimate uh, demon exercisers. And uh, the de- they come upon someone who's really demon-possessed, and the demon-possessed says, demon man says to the sons of Sceva, he, he, he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And so he says, Paul by name. So even the demons knew the fame, if you will, of Paul. And that could be intoxicating for the flesh. And he says, but I'd rather not glory. If I gloried in myself and in my accomplishments, I'd be a fool. And God knew that I would be tempted to glory. God knew my weakness and pride. God knew that I might take credit for myself. So He gave me a handicap here, a thorn in the flesh, a buffet from Satan's messenger that would keep me weak. But in my weakness, it kept me from pride. And so He says, you know what I say to that? Thank you, thank you, Thank you, God, for giving me your weakness because it keeps me from pride. When we share our stories with each other, when we share our transparencies, our burdens, things that have happened to us, or physical things, emotional things, spiritual things, life events, 
we start realizing, wow, wow, wow. And it's those things that we can say, thank you, God. Because without that, I may very well trust in myself. I may very well try to do it myself. Don't, don't be like this, and if you're like this, there's grace, but don't be like this, where you think you've gotten it, and then when you need help, you call on God. God doesn't want us to have gotten it and then call on God in 911 or call on God at the last minute or call on God and say, God, I can't do it anymore. No, it was supposed to be you couldn't do it all the way through. But without that weakness, you may think you've got it. And so, let me boil it down even further. Both pride and self-sufficiency, as well as glory in self over God, would easily be sin. And so essence, essence, God gave Paul this weakness to keep him from sin. The sin that, that Lucifer seemed to be tempted by. And it's amazing how quick we can become prideful and take credit. And so we look at this and say, it's not about just self-denial. It's not just about, nope, I will be so humble that I will not be proud. It's about God giving you weakness so you can't be proud. I want to give you another concept. Number three this morning, without weakness, you may never know God's grace. And God's grace is all you need. Look at verse 9 again. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you might notice that it's in red because he said unto me, who? Christ. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Without this weakness, you may never know God's grace. Now, what is God's grace? God's grace is blessings and the pouring out of God's power when you deserve inter- rather hell and punishment and consequence. And His grace, He says, when you're weak, He can minister to you. He can give you grace. It's many times when we're, we got everything together, when the, when the smooth seas and, and, and blue skies and the smooth sailing, you think, man, you just go along your life. You don't even understand how much grace of God you need. Because you're just going along, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. But when you are broken, now all you can do to survive is take God's grace. And Jesus says God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's, it's, his strength is made perfect in weakness. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, when I'm weak, God gives me grace. When God gives me grace, I have His strength and I have His power. Jesus said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, I glory in the infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So let me say this in a bizarre way. If you want the power of God, you have to be afflicted to weakness. A broken church is a powerful church. That's not like, let's go break things. But when God allows us to be broken before Him, emptied before Him, 
uh, bruised and battered before Him, then His grace gets to minister. It's the same way with salvation. In salvation, if someone doesn't think they're a sinner or doesn't think they're that bad of a sinner, they'll never turn to Christ as Savior. They'll do it themselves. Or they'll do it themselves and say, well, and the little portion that I can't do, Christ makes up the hedge. No, Christ does not make up the hedge of the little portion you couldn't do. He's the entirety of it until you realize that you can't have it. The same thing with serving God. You're not effective. Understand this. I'm not trying to be rude. You're not effective serving God in your own strength. None. Zero. You have no ability to effectively serve Christ in yourself. I'm sorry. You came here to effectively serve Christ and you got all these talents and abilities. You have none. But God can use them for His glory. When we're broken, when we're weak, when we can't. And so God, why, why did God allow me to have this affliction because in it you get to see his grace you get to have his power you get to do it his way again it's everything that the secular motivational speakers are going to the opposite of what they're going to say it's the opposite of how they're going to try to make you feel i'm telling you now your weakness is great in god's hands Motivational speaking and, and uh, hoorah, hoorah is going to tell you you've got this and just put one step ahead of the other and you, you could do this. And I'm telling you, you can't. And I'm glad we can't. Because then it forces us to turn to God. Let me remind you of this aspect of it as well. It's sometimes when I said earlier that we might be tempted to give up when the pain comes, when the affliction comes, when the hardships come, and we might just give up and say, I'm done with this. And especially if we're trying to follow God, and every time we try to follow God, it seems to get worse. And so we're like, I'm done following God because it, life gets harder. I don't want it. I'm done. Not being rude, but I'll be a little confrontational for just a second. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I know people say, I'm, I mean, I'm really mad at God right now. I'm jaded with God. I get it. I understand that. I'm giving you biblical truths to change your perspective on things. But where are you going to go anyway? Because you're going to go out into a world that has no power of God, has no direction, has no clarity of understanding of, of truth this way. You might as well just stay with God and say, God, I don't understand. I'm broken before you, please. And so then God gives passage of Scripture like this and says, hey, listen, listen, listen. Listen, I know the pain you're in. And I've chosen not to take it away. Why not? Please take it away. No, 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 no. Shh, shh, my child, listen. Because in it, you're so much stronger because I'm your strength. And I know you don't want to turn to me because you're mad at me. But there's nowhere better to turn. And there's nothing out there anyway. Where are you going to go? Turn to me. That my grace would be sufficient. If you want to know God's grace, you've got to be broken in sin. If you want to know God's grace, you've got to be broken in affliction. Then you'll know. And so Paul didn't grow bitter. He didn't, grow, he didn't start complaining. He gloried in it. He said, when I realized, when I realized what God was doing, I began to say, thank you for my weakness. 
He wasn't trying to be spiritual. He wasn't trying to prove something to somebody else to say that. He's giving us these inspired words that we might have. Why? Why am I afflicted? Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. And here's the truth of it. Thank you, Lord. I realize that in all my trying to avoid it, in all my um, trying to stop it, or my, my trying to rough through it, I got this. I'm strength. I was deceiving myself. I can't. But now I have your grace. Now I have your grace. And that's all I need. Let me give you the fourth truth here. You are stronger in your weakness than you could ever be in your completeness. I'll say that again. You are stronger in your weakness more than you ever could be in your completeness. You may think your weakness is a hindrance, but it truly can be a strength enabler. We just went over that. His strength, His, his power rests upon me. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The power of Christ rests upon me. Through weakness, the power of God rested upon Paul. When I'm weak, then I am strong, he says later on. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Verse 11, I become a fool in glory. You have compelled me, for I ought to have commended of you in nothing. And I'm behind the very chief apostles, though I be nothing. He's going back to verse 10. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Find your weakness in one of those broad terms. And he says, I take pleasure in those. His flesh does not. James says it like this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's, Paul says in, in Romans 5 something similar, that he glories in tribulations. It is so bizarre to have a hard time in life and say, I love this. Unless you're a sadistic of some sort. That's not what Paul's trying to get at. Paul's saying when you realize what God's doing, when you realize how God uses these things, if you realize the power of God that comes, you say, I want to be used of you, God. And I don't want to get in the way. So thank you for giving me this. Thank you for making me weak. Thank you for making me have to depend on, on you rather than myself. If God left you on your own, you would absolutely depend on yourself so often. Think of this, right? Moses goes up into mount, the mountain uh, with Joshua to get the Ten Commandments, right? He doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he goes up there. He comes down, and all, in just those a little over a month's time, the nation of Israel, who had just been delivered out of Egypt from the power of God with the ten plagues, with the parting of the Red Sea, all of that power that they saw of God. And when he came down the mountain... They had gotten involved in worshiping golden calves and idols. Like, what in the, what happened here? They began to make their own God. Left on our own, we would absolutely make our own God or make ourselves God, and we would, we would walk in like this. I got this. And God says, no, 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 not for my people. Not for my people. You're nothing without God. And so you're stronger in your weakness than you ever could be in your completeness. I use this silly example sometimes to... Um, actually, I'll use this example. I'll, I'll, I'll use this example, and then I'll use an example that just came to mind from yesterday, okay? Um, but if you're going to play a two-on-two basketball game, 
right? And you were going to play the best two basketball players on Long Island. And it was going to be you, and you could pick any teammate in the world. And it got to be you, and I don't know, maybe you're going to hate on this example, but maybe it's going to be you and LeBron James. You want to use Michael Jordan, use Michael, whoever you want to use. Right? Michael Jordan's old now, make him younger, whoever you want. And you take the two best high school players, we'll say, on Long Island. You're going to win. Why? Because your teammate is so much more. He don't even need to pass you the ball. He's going to take care of it. Yesterday they had a um, tournament here um, for video games, Halo tournament. Um, and so a bunch of the guys got together and played. Well, my son Josiah got to be put on David's team because they all had their teams. Now, David used to be like an ex-pro video game player. And that's true. That's not even like an exaggeration, especially in this particular game. So Josiah came home with the trophy. He's only played Halo like five times. Well, how did he do that? Well, David was on his team. So where, wherever he's weak, it don't matter. Because as long as David could have had nobody, probably would have won. And so that whole that just that just illustrates a small thing of that when we have when God is in us and God is with us and God is using us, it's good to be weak. Now if Josiah came home and go, man, I just smoked everybody, I'd be like, brother, you did nothing. Now maybe he's decent. I don't know. He's at least he plays video games. It's not like he's you know has no idea what he's doing. But I'm sure he may not have been even as close to good as some of the other guys. But so when you're weak, but you have God, you're everything you need to be. Everything. But what he wants you to do is look at him, stay focused, not run in, your, in bitterness, not run in jadedness, not run in anger. Because he might take it away, but he might not. And what he's telling you today is the reason I haven't taken it away because this is how I can best use you. This is how I can best use you to serve me, to see my glory in your life, to see the power of God. And so you don't walk away thinking it was you. We can have growth in our church like we've been experiencing. And if we walked away and think we did it, and eh, that's a bad place to be. But when we have no idea what's going on and Satan's attacking and attacking and attacking and God's still growing and growing and growing, we sit back and be like this. If someone invited us and said, hey, can you guys come to a panel on church growth? You know what we'd say? I have no idea how to help you. It's God. That's all I can say. We, there are no gurus in church. They're broken people and the power of God. Let me read to you verse 5, and then verse 9 and 10, and we'll be done. Of such and one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. So what is he going to glory in? His infirmities. Your weakness that you've been begging God to take away from you, glory in them. Thank God for them. Be about God. Thank you for allowing this. And I know you don't feel like that. I'm not appealing to your flesh here. I'm trying to silence your flesh, and I'm trying to put perspective on you to look up to God and say, God, I understand now in my spirit what's going on. I understand this now. Verse 9 again. 
And he said unto me, this is Christ speaking, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is more readily understood and available and perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to understand that this is a huge admission for Paul to make to the Corinthians. You know what one of the themes of 2 Corinthians is? Paul's defense of his gospel ministry. See, 1 Corinthians, they're all a bunch of like, it's a crazy church. Let's put it that way. I mean, there are all kinds of fighting. There's all kinds of like tearing at each other. There's weird sins going on. Um, there is, they're fighting over who got baptized by who, whose spiritual gift is better than who. And Paul comes in and says, whoa, whoa. Then Paul goes away for a couple of years and, he, and, he, and he's going to try to come back and stuff. And they're like, Paul who? We don't care. Who are you? Paul's like, what? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the sent one from God. I'm the apostle. We don't care. We don't recognize your authority here. And Paul's like, what? So Paul is defending his gospel ministry in 2 Corinthians. For him to make this admission, guys, I have no strength. I am afflicted by God. So you can try to, you know, I'm not here to defend my honor myself, me. I'm here to just tell you this is how God's using me. I am weak. I am nothing. I am no one. But in my weakness, I have the power of God. And I have his grace. And I glory in my weakness. I glory in my, my problem. Whatever it is. Whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional. Whether it's your past. Whether it's temptation. Whether it's some kind of uh, handicap. Whatever it is. I glory in it, God. I glory in it. Because in it, I see you. And I'm made strong. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask a few questions today. Some you're familiar with. And some will be just for today. Now, we're not, we didn't preach straight on the gospel today, but the gospel always saves. Christ always saves. And what do we mean by saved? We mean, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? In a nutshell, the best understand that if you're visiting today. If you died today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Not based on your good works, not based on how good of a person you are, not based on how much you try or how sincere you are, but based on have you ever called out on Jesus to forgive you of your sins and cry out to him to be your savior. You say, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure I'm saved today. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you please pray for me? Would you quietly raise your hand if that's a concern for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. See your hand. God bless you. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. God bless you. I saw a few hands. Let me ask some specific questions for today. How many people here would say, Pastor Jason, there are some things in my life, whether I've been there for a while, whether are kind of recent, or whether I'm just getting into, and you say, I, I, I've been wondering why God has taken them away from me. Would you, I mean, why God has given them to me. Would you pray that God would take these away from me? It's okay to pray this, by the way. It's not a trick question. If there's some things in your life that you would like me to pray for you about that God would take away these afflictions, would you raise your hand? If you're going through something, or would you pray for those? Okay, I see many, many hands. Many hands. Many hands. Now, here's the next question, and here's the one for you. How many people here as a testimony before God 
would say, if God doesn't take them away, I'm going to submit to His will and I'm going to recognize them as God's grace in my life. And I'm willing to admit that today. I'm going to change my perspective and embrace them and glory in them because I'll see God's grace in them. If God does not take them away, are you willing to do that? If you would raise your hand, if you say, I'm willing to accept my weaknesses no matter what they are. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down. What I want you to hear today again, God does give you too much for you to handle. But He never gives you too much that He cannot handle in your life. Turn to Him. Let Him either take it away or walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you in your infirmities that He may bestow His grace and power upon you. Let's stand to our feet, head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. We're going to have a, a, a time of prayer. You want to pray about something. You want to pray that God takes away an affliction, takes away a temptation, takes away an addiction, takes away something else, takes away some handicap that you have in your life, some intellectual hardship, some emotional hardship. Why don't you come and ask? If you want to say, God, you've not taken it away, I'm willing to submit now before you and cry out and say, I see your grace in this. If you want to come pray about that, why don't you come? If you want to talk to somebody about being saved, come meet me up front. We'll show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And again, I want you to know that God's gift to you may have been this affliction, this hardship, because in it, His strength's made perfect. In it, you're kept in the in his power of his hands. The song that's being played, he doeth all things well. If you have one, thank God, because it'll keep you from pride. It'll keep you in self-glory. It'll keep you from promoting yourself or thinking yourself higher or worrying about if everyone else thinks you're as awesome. Because in the affliction you're thinking, there's no way I can, I can be proud. And, and the thing is that God customizes these thorns in the flesh. There's something specific for you that will keep you from being proud or glorying in self. And if we look at the great people in the Bible, Moses and David and Paul and Noah and Samson and these other people that God proclaims many of them to be in Hebrews 11 as great men of God. And we see their afflictions and see their failures and see their hardships and see the difficulties in their life. Maybe there's something too what Paul's preaching about here. They're not superheroes. They're regular people afflicted by a broken world. You know, the, many of you know the great hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, who was blind, and yet I don't know there's a good hymn book out there that doesn't have a multiplicity of her songs in there that she wrote for the glory of God, an amazing testimony. Horatio Spottiford, who wrote, um, It Is Well With My Soul. His whole family was lost at sea in a shipwreck and yet wrote that great song for us to sing through the ages. We don't know God's grace and can't taste God's grace 
without that affliction and that brokenness. So we glory in it. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it's hard. We beg God to take it away. And He might. But if He doesn't, it's because His grace is made, His strength is made perfect in it. So if you're feeling weak today, you're in a good place. If you're feeling broken today, it's a good place. If you're feeling you can't today, good. In my flesh, do I wish I never had any issue? Oh, yeah, all the time. But I also know that I probably wouldn't trust God or rely on God as much. Or at all. He knows. Father, I pray now that as we depart, that you would help us to find strength and grace in whatever you allowed to come in our way. Lord, we know, we talked about last week, that not a sparrow falls to the ground without your attendance. And so, Father, we know that whatever our afflictions are, whatever our hardships are, you know about them. And Lord, as Paul did, we in our spirit do, Lord, we glory in them. If they keep us close to you, we glory in them. But Lord, if it be your will to take them away, Lord, we don't want to minimize praying to take away affliction. So we pray that you would. But if not, we glory in them if they keep us close to you. I pray for those that need to be saved, Lord, that have questions, that um, looking for <coughs> your, your truths and looking for your um, salvation, Lord. As you draw them near to you, open the eyes of their faith. And Lord, I pray, Father, for those that have afflictions, for those, Lord, that understand this passage, that, or those, Lord, that are being confronted with it for the first time, be with us all. Be with us in, uh, as we leave. Be with the fellowship. Bless the food and the, and the uh, refreshments we can have. And thank you for everyone that's joined us today. We, we glorify your name now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.